if you know it, say the rebel reclamation with us. We have the right to fully embody life in connection with nature and her cycles. We empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome the light and the shadow, knowing that the source of both is one singular divine power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of all future descendants, we lean into the unknown with grace. We release that which no longer serves us and manifest that which does. We make our own rules and then sometimes we break them. We are radical and wild. I am your dark sister, Sam, and this is your red sister, Sarah, and we are rebel women with teacups. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? That was beautiful. Good. Thank you. I felt it. I closed my eyes. I saw that. that I I saw that and I was like, oh, damn it. You're so cute. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad that you could feel that and you could close your eyes. I'm still a little bit away from completely memorizing it. So it was beautiful to witness that. I don't have it totally memorized. Well, we keep tweaking it anyways, but there's some parts that have remained the same since the jump. So yeah. Beautiful. Since the jump, that was 2019 jump. That's crazy that we started this before the, even the temple. That's so weird because like a hundred percent of my vision and focus for the last year has been the temple and there was literally no awareness of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Like we didn't even do it. Not the podcast. We started the podcast, I think in 2020 or 2021, one of the two, but we started, but we wrote that. We wrote that in 2019 uh, to lead into our first gathering. And if it wasn't that, then it, I know for a fact drum we circle? read it. No. Or no. birthday. No. You're the, right. Um, You're right. Our, <laughs> it wasn't our birthday. It was because it was our first one. Our very, very first one when we were Rebel Goddess Reclamation. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Our first gathering. How sweet. I know. It is so, so sweet. sweet. And now, I mean, so what, not only are we like recording what episode 11 of our podcast, but I also have a rebel goddess candle beside me <gasps> that Yay! I, that is lit from the four winds celebrating our space. How crazy. I know we were also gifted with a beautiful video yesterday. Um, oh, our friend yeah. Kate, yeah, our friend Kate, who literally has been there from the beginning, she was at our opening night. And she was the first one at our, we used to have this thing called open temple. We don't do it as often now, but it was a space for you to come in during the daytime, just to sit, do your work, maybe have a conversation. And she sent us a video and the difference between day one open temple and the temple I stood in last night Mm -hmm. is just, excuse me. It is just, it's amazing what we did in a year. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's really just walls and a few pieces of furniture and then some dinky placeholder shelves <laughs> and just open space. And now there's like life like bursting yeah. from every corner. Like there was a, a mostly um, I had a picture pop up on mine from I don't know, maybe like six months ago. And it's our like reading the corner with our beautiful velvet chaise lounge and yeah. our bookshelf and the bookshelf is like half empty with the chaise lounge and there's like three plants and then fast forward to now there's literally a, a giant folding table covered with plants the bookshelf is bursting and there's been a box of books in front of the bookshelf for like I don't know weeks and weeks and months I mean now it's put away but it was like there were so many books it's, it's yeah. crazy to have these like snapshots in time it's, a, yeah. it's an incredible like privilege of our technological technology technology age that we get to like put these things side by side because it doesn't Mm. feel real like isolated you know 
Yeah. I, I'm, my aim is to take a video of the, like the trying to mimic what she mm-hmm. took so mm-hmm. that we can do, I don't know if we can do a side-by-side like video as oh, it's yeah. happening. I don't know if we, cause we really don't, we don't fuck with TikTok. We do reels. So I don't know if reels has that ability to do split screens like it that. It does. There's okay. a way out. You can do like a horizontal one or a vertical one. Okay. So, well, magic's about to happen. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> okay. So what are we drinking today? Today we are, okay, so first, if you have any tea that you would like to donate, please let us know. We'll please, try please, to coordinate please. that because we we want to we want to do as many small company teas like apothecaries, people who do their own mixture. And then we also, to make it more accessible, we also want to do things that you can just walk into a store and purchase like that for that to be an option. So if you have anything like that or any recommendations, suggestions, please let us know. Today, we are doing one from the Enchanted, excuse me, the Enchanted Candle Apothecary. And before I say it, is it Roybus? That's how I say it. I don't know okay. that it's right, but it's okay. how I say it. Okay. So just, just a forewarning, this is a caffeinated tea. This is the cold. Oh, it Hall. is? It is. It, it has, yeah. It, <laughs> so, so this is, uh, this is called Cauldron <laughs> Chocolate Chai Tea, and then her cute little description the health and wellness attribute says drinking a few cups of chai tea daily leads to a healthier immune system cardamom contains high doses of vitamin c and other nutrients antioxidants help to eliminate free radicals caused by pollutants and chemicals in foods and the environment that cause that can cause cell damage and then the description the pro, the flavor profile and composition i love her descriptions warm your whole body with hot chocolate inspired tea Chocolate chips sprinkled throughout the rooibos tea. A bite of ginger pairs with a citrus note of cardamom to create the soothing and comforting blend. Top with whipped cream. I like how she works. And some chocolate mm-hmm. shavings. <laughs> snuggle up and to pamper yourself or snuggle up and pamper yourself on a chilly winter's night. Mm. Well, we'll be pampering ourselves on a chilly winter's day. Actually, it's not that chilly. It's like 40 degrees. The weather doesn't know what it's doing. So mine has been brewing for a hot minute. So I think that I'm going to cut it just a little bit with some fresh water. What? Well, it's been sitting for a really long time, like much longer than what I normally do. Mm. But it is, it truly looks like coffee with it in the container right now that I just put it in. Um, oh mine's, my gosh. Mine's a little uh, bit redder than coffee is. Uh, it could just be because it's concentrated, but looking through it, it's a really beautiful, mm. I can oh, see I the see, red in it. Yeah, see, looking I through. See. But I will say this. So there are, my blend had actual chocolate chips in it. Did yours? Mm. Oh. Um, I think I probably used all the chocolate chips in mine already because, you know, they sit at the top. I, I don't remember. I didn't really look at, I should have looked at the plant material, but now I don't have any left. Okay. Well, I did have some chocolate chips in mine and lucky. My smell, this is an older tea. We've had this one for a little while. So the, uh, I'm trying to keep myself from saying, uh, so much the, amazing. (laughs) the smell was not as pungent at with it dry, but it is so lovely. The smell of the tea itself. Oh my gosh. It really does smell really good. Yeah, mine mine has a chocolate smell for sure. I don't know. Is there cocoa? Did you read cocoa in there or just chocolate chips? 
Uh, I, I think she recommended Coco like shavings, shavings yeah. and on there. Let's see. Chocolate chips sprinkled throughout the rooibos rooibos tea. <laughs> so there are chocolate chips. And I know they were because I saw them before uh-huh. I put it in. So when we were deciding what tea we were doing earlier. Wait, Sam- but if it's rooibos, then there's no caffeine in it. Well, there could be other things. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, my brain you're, just no. like darted like, hey, you, honest, don't lie to me. I'm you know so much more than me. It does say caffeinated. Like it says the way her description is set up is it says caffeinated with asterisks on either side. Oh. So she there could be something additional in here that. Huh. Okay. Sorry. What were you going to say? When No, 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 no. You're fine. I was going to say. When we were deciding our tea today, mm. you go, are you sure we've not done this? And I said, no, because I've been purposely avoiding this tea. And the only reason why is because the idea, I don't know. So the fact that she used real tea, I think it changes the flavor, but I can't stand it when people use like not real chocolate like it's the flavoring of chocolate and Uh, not chocolate and I don't think at the time I knew that there was chocolate chips in it because I didn't really look at the uh, the herbs or the the spices mm -hmm. this is not what I thought it was going to taste like and so I'm happy (laughs) because the artificial chocolate flavor like heebie-jeebies yeah right 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 well I don't think she puts any flavors into hers aside from maybe like vanilla or vanilla or something right there is a chocolate tea that we were donated to at the temple and I've been avoiding that one as well Mm. because my assumption is that it's chocolate Mm -hmm. flavoring Mm -hmm. so I guess I should like Mm -hmm. do a double take Mm -hmm. and see Uh, this is like if I could akin this to beer this is like a Guinness in the darkness Mm. Because a lot of the tea that we've drank before has been like a light amber. So like, this is like deep and flavorful. Mm -hmm. This is one of the more flavorful ones I think I've had of hers. And it might be because the cardamom. Mm. See, I don't get a ton of cardamom. I get, I get the cinnamon for sure. And some ginger. And honestly, the, the rooibos is like, it's really, really gentle, but it could be because it's an older. That's true. I was, I was brewing it and I was like, I wonder if this will be, would consider this compost appropriate because of how old it is. <laughs> like, would, would she be like, don't drink that? <laughs> That's funny. But it's good. I, I did bring um, some creamer, some ripple non-dairy creamer. Mm, so I'm gonna put it. I should have grabbed some creamer because mm-hmm. I think that would have been lovely. I will say though, that the taste of this, and I don't know why. The taste of this reminds me of like a Charles Dickens Christmas, mm. like, like on the farm, deep winter, you need something really warm on your bones. This feels like something that that would be. Tea for Tiny Tim. Yeah. Yes. And also, can we take a moment to discuss just a hot second? Whatever that beautiful mug is that you're drinking from. 
Okay, so this I got in Sedona when I went with my family. And it's got your face. I know. I know. <laughs> you have to take a picture of that. You have to. I will. It's like, it's huge, number one, which like, yes, please. And then the, um, there's like a, a, a face carved in it, but it's like, a, like, it's not an abstract face, but it's extremely stylized. And then I don't know if you saw it, but the glaze, there's like that mm-hmm. blue crackle glaze. Like the most of the mug is like a dark brown with a little bit of red in the face. And then, okay, so I don't have a, um, I'm going to spill this everywhere. Okay, Let me set up my stuff here. Okay. So I don't have a, the lid doesn't, it didn't come with a lid, but I tried the lid from the cup I used last time, but it doesn't work. So I used the saucer and then look, look I put the saucer on. <laughs> yes, a little hat. hat. <laughs> I love it. That was beautiful. Do you know if that was handmade? Um, I don't. Let me see the bottom. I mean, there's someone's signature on the bottom and then there's a sticker that says made in Mexico. So my guess is it was probably mass produced by somebody's sets of hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's beautiful and it's heavy duty and it's beautiful. Yeah, it was only like 25 bucks. And since most of the mugs I buy are 75 cents from the thrift store, I felt <laughs> like I could splurge on this one. You definitely have to take a picture of that faux yeah. show. Yeah. And it has these like feathers. There's one, there's a feather on either side that's hanging down. That's like carved in there. I noticed it. It's really subtle or maybe beautiful. it's hair like braids or something. I'm not sure. Oh Yeah. It could be. Yeah. But there's also some like war paint or some like on his face in between those cracks or her face. Anyways. Yep. What are you drinking out of? Um, I'm drinking out of my son's mug and it has an L on it. Mm. I purposely, just so everybody knows, I purposely don't say my children's names uh, just out of a personal preference. I don't even advertise them on my, like when I put them on my social media. I don't tag them and I don't put their pictures on because I want to respect their privacy because mm. who knows where all of this loveliness is going to take us. And right. I want it to be their choice, whether or not they're attached to anything. Mm. So I feel very strongly about that. And that could be, I don't know. I don't know what that could stem from, but I remember very specifically learning things while I was in the military. And I was like, yeah, I like say, like, were they they give you safety tales, like cautionary tales of of things about the military specifically. And it got me thinking about my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they'll say like, if you're ever in a conversation with someone and they're asking you questions like, well, how many people are in your squadron and how Mm -hmm. many people work at this center? Like those are suspicious questions. And they even said, we don't even recommend like a lot of the times you'll see on vanity plates that you were were or are in the military and they're like while you're active duty our recommendation is to not put that on there because then you're pinpointed oh that's a military member right and then it got me thinking about in the cautionary tales of so whenever my kids played any type of sports none of them have been huge into sports other than one particular kind and I never put the sports sticker on the back of my right. car or with their names because like that's that just, like, Dexter safety. episode yes with um John what's his <gasps> name oh he's so creepy I can't watch <gasps> him anything oh it makes me dry heave and then also too 
John Lithgow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except, okay, so he good. wrote he he's wrote far quad. <laughs> he wrote a children's book called Kangaroo Sue. No, marsupial, <laughs> marsupial Sue. And she is she's a wallaby, but she hangs out with kangaroos, or maybe she's a kangaroo and hangs out with wall. But it's it's rhyming like marsupial Sue doesn't know what to do. Something something, but a but a boo. And it's adorable. But then it's his face. The whole thing is bright color, and then you flip to the back, and it's bright purples and teals and then his face really big black and white headshot little boy barrier in the cement type of (laughs) on the back of because you know Dexter ruined me but Dexter also ruined me because that terrible scene with Rita in the bathtub like sometimes when I'm feeling sad it just pops in my head and I can't I can't let it go I stopped watching Dexter for a long time I did stop watching I stopped watching mainly because I thought it was insane I thought the storyline of his stepsister being in love with him i was yeah. like we're, go- we're going too far guys yeah like, let's let's rein it back in but there was lots bit. of seasons i feel like they, there were they have to go seasons. someplace so yeah i only i think i only like super watched definitely the first two seasons perhaps the third season and then i kind of backed away oh so did you even see john lithgow do you gal i saw scenes of him in it but i didn't watch his storyline but i know that it was like a jacked up yeah, I know it was jacked up, and I'm like, I'm good. Okay, thanks. Well, he was a he was a predator that would get little boys, um, yeah. and the way he did it in the the show was that he saw somebody's like family there, the sticker on the back of the car, and it was like he played soccer and it had his name. So then he yeah. was at a carnival and he talks to a little boy about soccer and then invites him back. The whole thing is like super scary. Yeah, but then what happens? Trigger is, warning. Can I just spoil? Yeah, trigger warning, and also can I just spoil it for you? Well, I guess you find yeah. out from the beginning. It's not, it's not the ending, but um, his whole thing was that he like lost his innocence in his childhood. And so he feeds these little boys applesauce with sleeping medication, puts them in pajamas and then buries them in cement in the oh foundations of houses to, to maintain their innocence. Oh my gosh. I know. It's it makes my stomach turn. I don't know why I just said it out loud to you just now. <laughs> Cause it's stuck, it's stuck inside me trying to get out. Anyways. <clears throat> Anyways. I yes, 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 yes. Anyways. Um, I feel like there was something that I was going to say. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a complete 180, like a jump forward and to the side and a 180. <laughs> please so we go follow us on instagram rebel Mm -hmm. women with teacups go subscribe to our patreon we might be changing the tiers but uh if you would like to support us in the most beautiful ways we would love that we would also love to get merch as well we'd love to have stickers and or shirts and or all the things because uh we plan on doing this for quite some time we're excited we're really excited this is this is honestly it's turning into are we still going to do some of the things that we offered at the beginning absolutely because how fun is that to discover things right because sometimes look I was a great student I was a great student so if you give me an assignment I'm going to like ace that assignment and so to research a goddess (laughs) or a tarot (laughs) it's it's because I'm a one uh but an Enneagram one, by the way. Yes, but honestly, what you guys are going to be hearing for the most part is just like the everyday conversations of Sam and Sarah, because we get on these beautiful, and a lot of the times we'll be like, why aren't we re-recording this? Yeah. Because it's just so good not to share. 
Right. Yeah. Or even just to have it for you and I. That's nice. Yeah. Because we're cute. We are cute. And our crone selves, our like 80 year old selves are going to be like, look at these two cute bitches. Look at them. Look at them. I love it. So did you give me your review of the tea? Oh, I like it. I think if, if I am fully honest, I, I think that mine probably has lost some of its flavor because it is so mild. And I, I think that I can key like into like what red tea tastes like and it's like totally gone but it's it's good I drink it again I feel like I've drank it before and I really really liked it before so rooibos is a red tea yes okay that makes sense yeah I think it's good it reminds me of Charles Dickens please sir may I have some more I don't is know that if that's what, what that's from that I have no says? idea I don't know uh, I'm trying to think because I know I think that's something. Oliver Twist oh uh, is that Oliver Twist is also Charles Dickens I don't know well, Tiny Tim isn't Charles Dickens, is it? It's like a Broadway. I don't know. Okay. No, they just made it. It was a book and they made it into a, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I the don't tiny, know. The Tiny Tim version that will be forever cemented in my brain is the Mickey Mouse version of Tiny Tim. The story of Scrooge where Scrooge McDuck is mm. Scrooge. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. It's that <laughs> and also. And Mickey Mouse Muppet. is Tiny Tim? No, Mickey Mouse's son is Tiny Tim. Oh. Mickey Mouse is the oh, uh, the, the worker, guy. the yeah, worker yeah. for it. But and also one of my my absolute one of my absolute favorite renditions of the Christmas Tale, and I can't remember. That's not the title of it. Christmas Carol. No, thank you. Is no, it? that sounds right. A Christmas Carol. The night before Christmas. No, that's no. what happens, and all the ghosts come to him. A Christmas yes. Carol. A Christmas Carol. I think that's right. <laughs> if not, you guys know we're wrong, and it's fine. But I absolutely love the Muppets version. Have you ever watched it? Yeah. I love I love the Muppets version. Muppets are like weird now. I feel like they, or maybe it's just because I'm older. I don't know. But they the quality, like what they're producing, doesn't feel like it's quite the same. But what do I know? Yeah. Okay. Fine. So this is what I brought. Excuse me, I have to come. <coughs> this is what um the reading that I brought for you today. Okay. It is from the Ashtavakra Gita. So there's lots of different Gitas. Gita just means song. And um, and it's uh, translated by Thomas Byram. And something you need to remember is every translation is an interpretation. There's no way to separate the translator from the interpreter. So sometimes certain translations, quotes, translations, sometimes they like feel really good, but from a... Um, Oh, what's the word from like a studious um, perspective? Like they're not actually super accurate. The the interpreter translator will add a little bit more like fluff to make it land the way that mm-hmm. they perceive it that it should be landing. Um. Anyways, well, before uh, you before you read it, what lens are we seeing this through for those who are might not be familiar with it? So it's a Vedic text, and there's a whole whole bunch of different Vedic texts. And then depending on your school of thought, you, you would pursue certain ones or read some certain ways, you know what I mean? Depending on like the lineage that you align with, you would read a sentence and it would mean one thing to you, but something else to somebody else. But okay, wait, I'm getting off track. So this is, um, so it's through a Vedic lens and specifically through the lens of non-dualism. So there's different ways you can perceive God. You can perceive a personal God, one that has like a specific archetype 
and or name or personality. So if I was to say like Kali, right, she like has a form, she has an image. I can imagine her specifically, like my mind can wrap around her edges so that I can get close to her. That is a personal God or um, like Jesus, right? He's like a personal, whereas you could also have an impersonal God that's like not, does not have edges. So if you think of like the standard God in a Christian, um, Judeo-Christian type text, it's like they are without idols. They are essentially formless. They exist within awareness and not within a specific material form. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's from a non-dual lens. It comes from the teachings of, um, well, Ashtavakra. So Ashtavakra, Ash means eight. Um, like Ashtanga is like eight limbed, whatever. Um, eight limb path or yeah. Um, and so Ashtavakra, he is a man that his body is like all bent and he's like deformed in eight ways. Each, each one of his limbs has a bend in it. And they, the, his story is that he was in the womb of his mother and his father was reciting the Vedas. And this is one of the stories he pops up a few times, but, um, his father was reciting the Vedas and being a uh, a fetus inside his mother's belly, he could discern that his father's reciting of the Vedas was incorrect, either in pronunciation or in content or verse or something. And so the fetus corrects his father and his father gets upset because he doesn't want to be corrected by this unborn child. How would this unborn child know the, the true, um, the, the true words of the Vedas if he hasn't even been born. And so the father is upset and curses the child. And then the child is born with these eight, eight crooked limbs or eight, eight crooks within his limbs rather. And so that's wild. That's wild to me. Yeah. And so, um, so he grows up and, and is, he, he was already destined to be saintly because, um, because of previous karma, which is how he knew the Vedas in his mother's belly. But anyways, um, fast forward into the future. Ashtavakra is an adult and there's a King someplace who is having trouble making sense of the material world, having had everything. And he calls in different, um, different people to, to counsel him and then eventually he's like i, I want to hear from this guy i want to hear from ashtavakra and so ashtavakra comes and then he says all of these words which is this huge parade of of non-dualistic thought meaning that there there is no separation between me and the divine so this does not fall into like the personal god category this is like a non-dual there is no edges to my god there is no separation i am the divine and so forth um yeah. And so he just slews on about it and it's, it's really, really beautiful. And each, um, each chunk of verses is separated. Like, like this is about, um, like, uh, dissolving, which could also very much align with surrender. And then this is about, um, being a student and this is about pure awareness. And basically his whole thing is that that's what we are is your pure awareness and any attachment to the material world is, uh, cause for suffering because it's based in illusion, illusion that there's separation. If you're existing in a material world, there's something outside of you to interact with within the natural world that is going to cause desire or aversion to rise up. All of that is false. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So, and I couldn't find, I couldn't find the verse that I was looking for. Um, and then part of me, part of me is worried that I can't remember actually if it was from this text or if it was from another text, or maybe it's just a different translation of the text. But well, the verse I was looking for, it was something along the lines of like, we shouldn't judge um, 
we shouldn't judge others period even based on like mlk he in his speech you know what if we judge people on the character of their actions instead of the color of their skin but then what i was looking for there's another t- i thought it was from a shopper but maybe it's from someplace else and he talks about what if we didn't even judge others based on the character of their actions and what if instead we judged them on their true essence which is infinite pure awareness which is there's no judgment to be had so it's like what if we don't even judge people based on their actions because mm everyone is infinite mm. anyways okay but I couldn't find it so maybe it doesn't even exist in this book maybe I have my wires crossed but this is what I'm going to read to you um this chunk of verses is called the boundless ocean mm. I am the boundless ocean this way and that the wind blowing where it will drives the ship of the world but I am not shaken I am the unbounded deep in whom the waves of all worlds naturally rise and fall, but I do not rise or fall. I am the infinite deep in whom all the worlds appear to rise beyond all form forever still. Even so am I. I am not in the world. The world is not in me. I am pure. I am unbounded, free from attachment, free from desire, still. Even so am I. Oh, how wonderful. I am awareness itself, no less. The world is a magic show, but in me, there is nothing to embrace and nothing to turn away. That was so yummy. I know. The whole thing is so freaking yummy. I closed my eyes and I was taking the journey like with the words and I could hear you smile and it made me really... I'm really happy. That's beautiful. I think so too. What, what is it specifically about that, that draws you to it? Well, every, every chunk of verses or chapter, he just, I mean, the idea itself is really simple. Like we are not these bodies. We are infinite. We are, we are pure crystalline awareness. So, you know, a few episodes ago, our last episode, we talked about the Shiva and Shakti or the Purusha and the Prakriti. So there's, there's matter, physical, natural world, and then there's spirit. There is like that, which cannot be contained or measured. And we identify with the natural world almost exclusively as a whole, as a generalization. But really the only thing we should be concerned with is our spiritual self, because that is, that is what's eternal. That is what is changeless and formless. Anything that we do to to amplify our awareness of that truth we actually can take with us when we leave because anything in the material world we can't so so each each and it's like I can say it to you and that makes sense but then remembering it moment to moment when I'm like I wish my tea was sweeter or you know Uh, what I mean this uh person is cutting me off and when I'm driving or I've lost another sock you know what I mean? I have 17 sets of unpaired socks. Like what is happening in this world? And I get caught up in these things, but like none of it, none of it matters. And then even out, you know, you take that and you go a little bit deeper and it's like with what we're doing at the temple and, and with each other and with our sacred work, it's, it's pursuing joy and pursuing heartfelt intention and, um, intuitive creation that feels good. And so mm. then we are programmed to pursue joy and pursue this like richness and deliciousness and sweetness of life. But even when we do that, 
we it's it's a double-edged sword because the more we reinforce the pathway of joy and pleasure the more subconsciously mostly we are are avoiding displeasure and we are avoiding that you know, which feels like aversion inside our bodies. And even though pursuing our dreams feels good and we should, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, it attaches us, excuse me, attaches us to the material world and attaches us to outcome and attaches us to the illusion, this Maya, this veil that Shakti puts on the natural world that makes us feel as though we're separate and anything other than eternal, infinite, all pervading consciousness because my awareness stops at me and I can like look at you through the screen and I can hear your voices through my, your voice through my ears. So you must be outside of me. So you must be separate from me. And then from that separateness, either arises desire or aversion. I like you. I don't like this other person who, you know, talks trash and whatever drinks and smokes mm-hmm. all day, like whatever the thing is, but none of that is real. And so I love the Ashavaka Grita because it takes us just like deeper and deeper and deeper and slower and slower and sweeter and sweeter. And it's like every, every chunk of verses is just another, like a completely different, but similar perspective to remember this thing that already feels like I know it, that I have never forgotten and boundless ocean. I mean, come on. Oh my and- gosh. <laughs> In all of it, in every every school of thought within Vedic theology and, and Vedic philosophy and culture, there is the ocean of illusion, the ocean of samsara, and it's like, um, who crosses who crosses this ocean of illusion? Which okay, so in the um in the oh goodness, what is it in the Bhakti Sutras? Okay, so in sutras, you want to have um, as few words as possible, as few syllables, as few lines as possible. They say that if you are a sutra writer the um if you can save one syllable that is better karma than having a child oh <laughs> so, wow so so they they really are careful about you know only saying what is the bare bones yeah which is why sutras are never meant to be read in a book they're meant to be shared from teacher to student through disciplic succession because if you just have the bare bones you're not going to understand what the heck they were talking about like yeah. it's like you know the ikea instructions of the spirit like <laughs> that's not enough it's just not um where is i going with this the oh okay sutras. okay yeah, yeah. yeah so in the back two sutras they say it says this is this is a um a scholarly translation so so the fluff is removed interpretation has been removed it is it is word for word pretty much and as much as it can be for Sanskrit, because Sanskrit isn't a word for it, but I digress. It says, who crosses, who crosses the ocean of illusion? And so it says, who crosses twice? So if saving one syllable in a sutra is better than having a baby, why would, why on earth would you go through the trouble of saying it twice? Mm. Because who can do it? It's like, it's like really hard. It's like, hey, pay attention. Is it you? Who crosses the ocean of illusion? So then it's talking about, the boundless ocean. So then our awareness is this boundless, infinite, deep. And yet we have to cross this ocean of illusion that is the material world that rises and falls with the ship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. There is so like, there's so much bopping around in my head right now. So let me ask you this. Uh, okay. Oh my gosh. There's just so many questions. Let me center myself. Cause I really do have so many. So when it comes to I, I don't know if you would want to call it your, your dharmic work or just the awareness. I guess it's just the awareness of if I know for a fact that at the root, like at the, my, my purest, goldest centered self 
in the non-physical form and the physical form and however I want to interpret it. If I know that everything is an illusion, must must I be aware of it all the time to take away from the earthly pleasures? Do you know what I'm saying? Like I can know that my thought at the end of the at the end of the day can always come back to there's no separation between me and that stick. There's no separation between me and the four walls that are keeping me protected at night. But I also want to cover those four walls and things that bring me visual pleasure and like knowing that it doesn't matter if you went out and bought that $40 item in the long run am I making sense because I see the way that you you're are. looking at me you, okay so there's lots of things coming up okay so the thing is if, if you're decorating your four walls with something beautiful it's we, we are pursuing pleasure and it feels like it's just pleasure. It feels good, right? Like, what does it even matter if I, I know this world is an illusion, but yet I enjoy pretty things. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. But every nanosecond that you pursue the enjoyment of the senses, your eyes enjoying what they are perceiving, you are simultaneously creating an aversion to that which you do not like, which means in the future, you have uh, your the record in your mind will play from a deeper groove. I don't like this. Avoid it. And every mm-hmm. time that that arises within ourselves, it's a cause for suffering because it's us uh, disagreeing to accept the world as it is. Because we're like, I wish it was different. So then you're not present. So then you sever yourself, capital S self, true awareness from what is true. So then it's no longer, you're just having awareness about, about, about things that aren't actually real. Like if you, does that, does that make sense? I can go, I, yeah, I have I, another I metaphor. Hear, I hear what you're saying, but then I also like step back and go to, but maybe that's, there's nothing wrong with it. Right, right. A, right. there's nothing wrong. What are we with here it, but for? Also, if we're not it's here to experience the rise everything. of the ship. Uh, I yes. totally agree. Well, and so here's the thing. Okay, so it's like uh, if you walk into a movie theater, so you have the screen. You walk in before the movie starts, and the lights are on, and you can see there's a big white blank screen, and you know I'm in a movie theater, and you know that the movie is going to start, and that there's a light projector coming from the backside that's going to change your experience in five or ten minutes or so after. You know what I mean? After the Mm -hmm. movie starts. And yet once the movie starts and if it's, um, if it's a romantic comedy, I am like caught up in the laughter and I'm caught up in the characters and I am somehow my awareness is transported outside of the movie theater. And I forget that I'm staring at a screen and instead I'm connecting with these characters as though they're real. And if I'm watching some horror, I'm scared because I'm connecting with it as though it's real or if it's sad, right. And I'm crying, there's true real emotion arising in my body, but it's just an image on a screen. It's not an actual reality. The reality is it's a white blank screen and the white blank screen is, is Maya. It is Shakti. It is the natural world. And then what is projected upon it? Consciousness, awareness, the light projector is the masculine infinite awareness that like has all of the information, but it has nothing to like put it on. So there's Mm. nothing wrong with it, but you are, you are willfully agreeing to ignorance. The more the more we allow ourselves to be entangled with the joys and displeasures. But see, then I go back and forth because number one, everything, 
mostly everything in the Vedic lens, similar to the Judeo-Christian, is he, him. It is a, a male teacher, master talking to a male student. And so it's from this perspective of, of enlightenment and um, overcoming the natural world as though it's something to be fought, something we need to struggle against. Mm-hmm. But the feminine perceives it differently. The feminine perceives the natural world as something to co-create with, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Let's see, yeah. but that's, that's her trick. That's, that's the whole trick of Maya is to get us into, because it is enjoyable to swing on the pendulum. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we get on that, um, that roller coaster at, at, you know, the, the ship that goes back and forth, the big Viking ship. Right. Mm-hmm. And you feel your stomach drop and you're like, Whoa, ooh, right? <laughs> and it's fun. we like willfully do it. And there's nothing wrong with it, but like it, at a certain point, you can't watch movies all day because it's a waste of time. Yeah. What are you actually doing? Yeah. So are you, are you offering that as a way for people to step, to be able to take a step back and go, well, I can, I can fill my life with things that bring me pleasure and discard from my life things that don't bring me pleasure. What ultimately am I doing here? Yeah. And also non-attachment to either way. Like yeah. we have to, in our fullest earnest pursue our, our purpose, which often brings us pleasure. We have to, that is our role within the universe. We can't sit and do nothing. Like we have to be in action. That's, that's the whole Bhagavad Gita is that you can't do nothing. Cause Arjuna's like, I don't want to fight my family in this fight. And then Krishna's like, you have to do something. Cause that's like the thing that turns the wheel of karma. <clears throat> so we have to do something, but we don't have to be attached to the outcome because when we're attached to the outcome, that's where suffering, that that's where mm-hmm. it gets us. And that, and then it ruins the experience of the awareness in the body. But continuing right so non-dualism is like nothing is real everything's a lie so even though i can say that's true level up and you're like well even that's a lie because suffering in the physical body like before we started recording we were talking about the the last time you had covid you know months and months ago and the body aches and you're like i had never experienced body aches that were so painful mm-hmm. and then what's the first thing that happens when you don't have body aches you don't even realize that your body is an aching but at some moment you're like oh shit my body feels good you didn't even realize yeah. that the suffering is gone but the moment suffering steps in you're like well fuck this is terrible and you completely displace the onslaught of moments where there was no suffering yeah didn't even yeah. occur to you that you're living <laughs> in your like, body and that it's working it's like when you get a when you get a cut or a something on your finger or on your hand and it keeps you from utilizing it completely and fully and you don't realize it until you don't have full access to it and you're like shit I didn't appreciate this when I had it right so what if you could live every moment fully appreciating everything what be our, pretty heads, yummy. our heads yeah. would explode. I literally think that that's true. I don't think that we would know what to do if we, without the practice and without, I don't want to use the word discipline, but that is the word that's coming up. But without that, because we couldn't just like instantly. No, our know, bodies, our bodies, couldn't our, our minds would yeah. explode. Our minds would explode. It's like, I believe I, I knew what non-dual non-dualism was prior to you but I truly began to truly understand it with the way that by which you view it and the ideas you've shared with me and I do believe that we are God's source I do believe that we are we are all literally from the same source Mm -hmm. but if our minds truly in this body truly understood that we would instantly be taken out I think 
well, instantly like that's, snapped. Right. And then, well, cause the illusion would be gone. So then there's no, there's no interacting with the material world anymore because our awareness would know the truth. And, and, um, in Vedic theology that it's like people either spontaneously combust or they just like straight up disappear. They, yeah. they just dissolve because what is there? There's nothing here for me anymore. Once I've seen past this illusion, but yeah. what happens is we have these little, like every, every word, every chapter, every, every verse within the Ashtavakrita, it reminds me. And then <laughs> by the time my eyes move from one line to the next, it's gone. And I've forgotten it. Yes. And we have to re because it's not, it's not something you can hold on to because it's so elusive. So then the, the process of desiring to remember, right. is just mm. as important as like the remembering itself, because the remembering itself isn't a process. It's like a drop in and then it's yeah. there. So, and it also could just truly be like a protective mechanism that we don't even realize is working in the background, because yeah. if we retained literally everything we took in, I, I don't know if our minds would be able to handle it. Right. I keep thinking about totally, the scene. It's yeah. a terrible movie. <laughs> like it's a travesty to the series, but I keep thinking about Kate Blanchett's character in Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull or something like that did mm. you see that one? Long time ago i'm sorry long time ago sorry. okay <laughs> so for those that haven't seen it there are crystal skulls like perfectly created crystal skulls of non-human origin that have been found on the earth like this is a real thing like not in the movie like like they look differently than what's in the movie but there are crystal skulls it's like how did where this was at where this was found how was this created because this is like laser perfect crystal skulls mm. so like where, where are their origins so they believe it is not of this earth because mm. it doesn't it doesn't look like this it doesn't look like a, a classic human skull anyways mm. but it also doesn't look like the way that they depicted it in the movie but at the very very end of the movie spoiler for those of you who have not seen it Catherine or Kate Cotton wanted to call her Catherine Zeta Jones. Kate Blanchett has the chance to speak with the non-human life form. And she's like, I want to know everything. I want to know everything. And they're like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And then she goes insane and ceases to exist because right. the body cannot, the, the mind of this body cannot contain all of the secrets of the universe. Can, it literally cannot do it. Mm -hmm. We will implode, explode, just like you said, cease to exist. Mm -hmm. Which, if you if you want to see it this way, if you if you believe that we are all a part of God's source, so that we are all God, we are all goddess, we are all everything, just like a snippet of this entity experiencing a physical form then when you return, like once you have passed from this plane of existence, when you return, then you go back to the all-knowing and mm -hmm. then you make the choice mm -hmm. to separate again, mm -hmm. to re-experience it all. And there's also theories out there, like if you, it, it can get really heady because you can get into the interdimensional ex, um, experiences and the quantum the, fields. Yeah. The different life force, like the earths that aren't earth the the existences out there that we don't know are popping along right now so it's like you can experience life on a different planet that is completely different from this earth that we know and 
you're choosing to say yes to let me go experience Mm -hmm. all of the things Mm -hmm. and you make choices of the lessons that you're going to learn. And some of those lessons are damn hard lessons. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when, uh, in Buddhism, which I don't, I am assuming is something similar to the Vedic lens in the Hindu. And I want to ask you questions about that in just a minute, but you reach Nirvana because you've put in the work you've paid off the karmic debt. You've learned all the lessons to get to a point where you're choosing to no longer come back down to this plane of existence because you have learned all the lessons. Mm -hmm. So that means you have learned all of the hard lessons that when you hear these sad stories of these people and how they existed, there are theories that your soul chose to have that experience as horrific as it can be. Your soul chose to have that experience so that it could experience all the evolutions that life has to offer, Mm -hmm. which is just wild to think about. And also like, just to also take a step back and think about this, because I've been thinking a lot about past lives and um, just past experiences or even time is an illusion. Like right now in this moment, right now in this moment, you are taking your first breath and you're taking your last breath when you really think about it. So existence happens all at the same time if you want to see it through that lens. And then what if you do have past lives? That means your past lives are happening literally Mm. right now as well, right? Your future Mm -hmm. lives that you don't even know, you know, if you've done any past work regressions, that's only been in what has happened in the past. So what about what happens in the future of all those lives that Mm -hmm. you have yet to live from this one in this moment, in this present moment, and yet everything is happening all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like that's wild. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I feel like you were going to say some things to so say some things. Well, it's like, I don't even remember. Okay. Do you, do you remember like where it was that I, the interdimensional, I don't know if we were going with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say in terms of our soul coming back to learn something, my my personal thought is our infinite awareness can decide I'd like to try this out I'd like to feel what this feels like I'd like to learn this specific thing while in a body but maybe it's not like planning this you know this terrible event or this incredible celebration of an event you know what I mean in ahead of time like for this life to to see through as it lives but maybe it's just like here's a lesson. Here's a shred of, um, emotion of humanity of like a a particular aspect of separation that actually reminds us of our inherent divinity. I'd like to experience this. And then what happens is we live our lives through interacting with the natural world. The choices we make cause and effect, then a very specific experience pops up Mm -hmm. out of that matrix. So maybe that specific experience was not predetermined, but the lessons and the outcome are. So even yeah. the thing is, if you don't learn that lesson and outcome, guess what? You get, get to, to do it again. again and again, <laughs> but it'll be different each time because it'll be based off the, the yeah. law of karma of cause and effect of, of the specific choices and experiences you pursue. Yeah. You said you were going to, you had questions. Um, yeah. Only because I want, I want to offer some clarification and, and if you don't know the answer, that's perfectly fine. There is, when it comes to the idea of Hindu gods, goddesses like Kali, she's seen through the Vedic Vedic lens, but also the Hindu Mm -hmm. lens. And if I, I could be wrong, but 
Buddhist as well, but I think that might be incorrect. Oh, it is. Okay. It it's is, correct. Yeah. So Hindu lens. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish no, question. no, no. You're answering it already. <laughs> the Hindu lens and Vedic lens is the same. I avoid using the word Hindu because initially like they never called themselves Hindu. It was something that colonizers were like, which side of the river are you? Which, which type oh. of Indian are you? Oh, you don't worship Allah. You're not an Islam. Okay. We're going to call you Hindu. But, and then it became like under the umbrella of a religion when it, it's not a religion. It is, it is an entire culture. So like they, in India, you can grow up watching um cartoons of the Mahabharata like you know I mean like you you watch the Bhagavad Gita as a cartoon like you don't watch um you know Jesus is a cartoon when you're little unless you're watching Veggie Tales which is for a very specific audience it's not an entire Mm. culture that is is expand that spans the entire population so so Vedic is the same but it's also I I would say more honest and slightly different Um, but then so Buddhism arises through um through vedic lineage just as christianity arises from judaism so christ is jewish and then he's like hey guys we're too we're too into these rules and regulations it's actually a little bit more broad it's a little bit more compassionate than than this specific written word is and then from that pops christianity and we have all the teachings of christ's followers and um and the apostles and things. And then what happens in, um, in Vedic and in the Hindu religion, they get so strung out on rituals that they are living specifically for rituals to please the gods. Um, and sometimes, you know, to receive things from the world that they've lost sight of actually connecting with the divine. And so from that, um, the, the Buddha is born, he's not born as the Buddha, he's born as well, I guess he is born as the Buddha because like time isn't even real, but he's, um, he's born into a Royal family. He has all of these incredible things. And then he sees outside the castle walls, acknowledges that they're suffering in the world and it overcomes him. And then he becomes an aesthetic. And then he's like, well, which one is it? Because neither actually reduce suffering. And there's like a prostitute in the mix. There's like a whole thing, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, then he realizes it's, it's neither and that we can't get stuck on these, these rituals and these rules and regulations. And instead it's more about a state of being than it is like a doing or not doing. And then through, through that lens, Buddhism is born and it's like, Hey, let's, let's, instead of focusing on these words that are in a book and, and regulating one another, let's sit under a tree and share wisdom and have Dharma talks and share like experience that that is uh, appropriate for the level of the listener instead of like flat words on a page. Mm. So what draws you to Vedic specifically? It's so codified that literally everything is covered and you're like, I don't agree with this. Cool. No problem. There's three other schools of thought (laughs) that are aligned (laughs) with you. So you can, you can sort of like choose your own adventure without having to think of everything on your own Mm. because it's just so vast. It's so expansive. It's so deep. I know that you've, you slightly touched on it earlier in this conversation, and it is a conversation you've had with me in the past where you struggled with the idea that a lot of the things that, that touch you and, or don't sit well with you is because it's through the lens of a male teacher mm-hmm. teaching a male student. Mm-hmm. So is there anything specifically that you feel like really draws in the divine feminine in these? I mean, cause no. clearly they have goddesses. <laughs> Well, there you go. 
Well, so, so you can, okay. So through the Vedic lens, there's, if, if you do ascribe to a personal God, there's really three main choices. There's a few other thing, other options, but really there's three main, you can be a Vaishnav, which means you think that, um, Vishnu and, or Krishna, who's an avatar of Vishnu. Also, by the way, Buddha is considered an avatar of Krishna, Krishna, um, an avatar of Vishnu, who is like the preserver. Cause he comes to like, write the situation. Um, <clears throat> So you can either think that Krishna slash Vishnu is like the main top guy, or you can think that Shiva is the main guy. You can be, uh, uh, you can worship him, or you can think that Shakti is the main, which would be goddess worshiping. So Mm. then there's separate texts for, um, for, for Shaktas or people who worship the divine feminine as the core center source of the universe, but they're not, it's not as expansive. It doesn't go as deep. There isn't as many. So mostly what I just do is I read all of the stuff typically in alignment with the first two. And then I just replace the, he, him with they, them, or she, her, but even Mm. then it's limited because like I said, Ashtavakra is like, you got to release this world, but then it accounts for zero of the pursuit of shakti the zero pursuit of the natural world to pursue itself you know like like the universe is here to expand so you can only expand if you co-create and you multiply and and when we're talking the universe it does it with itself yeah so there's no expansion if it's not discovering itself so like that has to be taking place we have to be engaging with the material world for the material world to expand that is our role and i feel like aside from just the specific use of pronouns the perspective is one in which is very it's it's limited and it doesn't anyways mostly when you hear things about ladies from the Vedic lens, this is like, this is my qualm is that it's talks about how the woman is so beautiful. She smells so good. Her breasts are so plump. Her cheekbones are so high. And it's like, (laughs) just barf. You know what I mean? Because all these men are offering wisdom. Yeah. Teach me more. Show me more. Let me follow you. Oh, this lady in the river smells so pretty. I'm intoxicated. No, that's insane. From Mm -hmm. my perspective, it feels limited, but also in true non-dualistic fashion, this perspective through the Vedic lens is the most comprehensive I've been able to find. Yeah. So going back to the root, to the root conversation, to the, the sea of illusion, to Mm -hmm. the, to all of the things in our everyday life. For me personally, it's important that we experience pleasure in everyday life and Mm -hmm. And for me, because, you know, I, I normally don't mm, act through the, the lens to which you see a lot of things, um, when it comes to what we've been talking about for me, it's a, it's, it's a freedom when we say, I don't like this, Mm. right. I don't like this. So I'm going Mm -hmm. to say, I don't like this. And I'm going to choose to not do these things because I don't like this. And instead I'm going to choose the thing that brings me pleasure. And I know that pleasure itself can be extremely intoxicating and it can be extremely addictive because you will always Mm -hmm. be searching for that feeling of pleasure, that, Mm -hmm. that rush of dopamine that you got that very first time, which will never, ever be duplicated ever again. Mm -hmm. Because the very first time is just like this. Like the very first time that I was on stage will never be duplicated because mm. it was the very first time. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I might find, I might feel tendrils of that same experience, but it will never be that rush of holy shit. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Look what right. I just said. What right? is this drug? Where did it come right? from? <laughs> Where did it come from? I want it again. Give it to me now. But see, but again, going back to that, that idea that there's no separation. Do you have recommendations? Do you have thoughts, ideas of how we can in our everyday life come back to the thought that there is no separation, like coming, like continuing to teach ourselves to come back to center, to come back to this present moment. Cause so often we live our life going, okay, we've got this on Tuesday. We've got this on Wednesday. I got to do this on Thursday. Mm -hmm. What about Friday? And for people who own their business that have events similar to Mm -hmm. us, we live three months in the future. It's really (laughs) difficult. It's really difficult to pull ourselves back to the center, mm-hmm. because not only do we live three months in the future, we live, we live throughout this whole week. Like I have to know what's happening every day, this upcoming week. Yeah. And then I, ha- I have to remember to get this for that event, that for this event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that could be utilized throughout all of our life when it comes to any type of work, when it comes to any type of just existing as a human, whether you're <laughs> cultivating a life with, um, what uh, human little ones or dogs or companionship or whatever it may be. Do you have any recommendations on how we can guide ourselves back to this moment? Um, Surround yourself with people who remind you of capital T truth, Mm. because then the conversations will naturally find its way back there at some point as often Mm. as possible. Um, Sink into the breath. The breath is our indicator that we are co-creating one part awareness and one part the natural world as the the winds of the natural world move through our body and oxygenate ourselves and our awareness has the fuel to be able to perceive and continue moving within this vehicle. And like you had said before, you know, time, time doesn't exist. Our first breath, last breath, you know, if you really think about it, but like some people haven't actually really thought about it. Some people Mm -hmm. are probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? But like our first breath right? We inhale, exhale. I know I've said this before, but it, we think that it is its own. Each, each breath cycle is its own thing. Our inhale, we exhale. And then the next one we breathe in, we breathe out. And then the third breath we breathe in, we breathe out. But even when we breathe out, there's no a hundred percent emptying or evacuating of the physical body that never happens is it is a constant string. And so every breath is a pearl within this endless loop that connects our first breath from our last breath, because there truly is no separation. So any sort of settling into the breath is always going to, going to seat you squarely in the present moment, because you can't, Mm. you can't actually pay attention to the breath. If you're not paying attention, because the other thing with the breath is it changes. I could be like, Oh, my breath feels, if I ask myself, or does, does my breath feel tight? Okay. My breath feels tight on the right side of my throat. Okay. This breath, it does. Can I squeegee that away so that my next breath, I can be fully present without the expectation of this tightness on the one side of my throat. Can I watch that move? Because the breath changes every single, don't get me started. <laughs> you already did. <laughs> but that's what I would say. Sing it to the breath. And then, um, and then my third recommendation would be read, read, read things that remind you of your truth, surround your entire life with things that remind you of what is true and eternal. Mm. If you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Which I And am. if you're here and if you're here listening to us, I feel like you are. Yeah. Like if we're clearly not everybody's cup of tea, but for those of for those who have gotten this far, mm-hmm. clearly there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. 
beautiful. Thank you. I feel like this is a lot of me talking, but I'm really, I'm grateful. Thank you. I am very glad it was you because my brain was not on, was not on it today. So I appreciated (laughs) you. And thank you for being my teacher today. Thank you for being all of our teacher today. Yeah. I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity, grateful to have people in my life and uh, pursuit like this incredible podcast. Please support us on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Do you feel complete? I do. Thank you. Do you feel complete? Thank you. I do. I feel very complete. Rock on. Yeah. See you next time. Okay. (laughs) 